Philippians chapter 3. And I don't know about you guys, I need, always need encouragement with all that's going on in the world around me. Every day when I get into God's Word, I look forward to, in the very first thing in the morning, getting up, getting my coffee, and getting in the Word. And I don't know what your daily routine is, but I would say this, if you, I mean, it's always good if you at least get into the Word before you go to bed at least, but the best thing you could do is get up, get your cup of coffee. I don't like coffee. Start drinking coffee. And open your Bible and get into the Word and start your day off with Jesus. Because I'll tell you what, it makes the world a lot easier to deal with. I'm not saying it, I didn't say it made it easy to deal with. It makes it a lot easier to deal with all that's going on in the world around us. Because each and every morning as I open my Bible, I'm reminded that God is on His throne. Amen? Amen. When, when I'm reminded that God's on His throne and that I have a purpose for being here and I have a direction, then it makes everything worth it. So join me as we pray and we'll get into God's word tonight. Father, we just thank you for the entirety of your scripture from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation. Lord, your Bible is inspired, infallible, inerrant, Holy Spirit inspired. Men wrote it, yes, but God, straight from your throne room, you moved in the hearts of men and they penned the scriptures. And Lord, we are going to look at a passage tonight that I hope will bring great encouragement to each and every one of us. So we surrender this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, would you do me a favor? I don't, know, I don't personally norm- normally do this. Pastor Jack does. Will you stand as we read a passage of scripture? We're going to read Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 12 to 14. And I'm just going to read all the verses. I want you to read along with me. I'll read a little bit slower than normal, okay? Let's begin. Verse 12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You may be seated. I know I messed up. I said Jesus Christ instead of Christ Jesus. It's just habit, right? Just habit. So as we're looking at this passage of scripture, we got two points tonight, onward and upward, and that's it. So if you like to take notes, it's going to be very easy. We're looking at verses 12 to 13. Paul says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I want you to underline this in your Bible. I press on. I press on. For what, Paul? For that, you can underline that, for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended But one thing I do, underline that in your Bible, one thing I do. Notice what he says, forgetting those things which are where? Behind me. Listen, up until this moment, everything that you've lived is behind you. And currently, everything that you've done today is now behind you. So forget it. Or as they say in Jersey, forget about it. (laughs) Put it behind you. And remember one thing that we need to do, and that's 
to move forward, forgetting those things which are behind, Paul says, and reach forward to those things which are ahead. So onward, number one, by recognizing that God's not done with you. God is not done with you. The moment God's done with you, you won't be here. Pastor Lynn is with Jesus because God was done with him. Isn't that amazing? I worked with the man. I walked around the office. He would be in his office, you know, and when he went into the hospital, none of us thought, like, his, his race is finished. He's not going to come back. But then when he went to be with the Lord, and now when I walk by his office, it's surreal. I walk by, I see the light on, I look in, and I expect him to be sitting there. And then sometimes when we have our pastoral meetings, I remind the, the pastoral staff, it's not fair he got to go be with Jesus first. <laughs> but he's there. He finished his race. God was done with him. And when God's done with you, and when God's done with me, we're going to go be with Jesus too. And it's not about your age. Just know that. If you're young, you could think, well, I'll go be with Jesus when I'm old. That's not true. Young people go to be with Jesus all the time. Look, you want to make sure that you do this, this little recipe that Paul has laid out right here. You want to make sure that you do it. Because as you do this, you near the finish line of your race. So Paul says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. What a statement. Now I put a question. What was Paul talking about? Look back at verse 2 of chapter 3 here. And we're going to see what Paul is talking about. First he says, beware of dogs. He's not talking about pit bulls and German shepherds. He's talking about people. It's not nice to call names. Paul called some people dogs. And it didn't have anything to do with their looks. <laughs> he is speaking about what they're doing. Notice he says, beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. If you think, oh, wow, I'm doing so great today, you're putting some amount of confidence in your flesh. Well, I went a whole week, and I didn't say a bad word. Now, that is good, but don't begin to put confidence in that. Oh, I didn't, I didn't break any of the commandments this week. Hey, that's great, but don't put confidence in it. This is what Paul's saying. Verse 4, for Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, listen to what Paul says, I more so. Now listen to his pedigree. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. You know what he's saying? None of you in here, none of you, Who's he writing to? He's writing to the church at Philippi. He's not writing to Jews. He's writing to believers. And what he's saying is, is listen, if you think that your righteousness before God means something, listen, he's telling you, you have nothing on Paul. I have nothing on Paul. The moment that I would begin to think, wow, I'm, it's going to be like Paul is right there and I'm right next to him. Paul's like, uh, excuse me, uh, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. If we're going to talk about the flesh, can you trace your lineage to the tribe of Benjamin? No. Can you say you're a Hebrew? No. The law? Were you a Pharisee? Because Paul was. He's not done. Concerning zeal, he persecuted the church. Concerning the righteousness which is from the law, 
blameless. Could you and I say that? That according to the Ten Commandments, you and I are blameless? No. Not even close. But what things were gained to me, these things I have counted loss for Christ. Meaning, it doesn't mean anything. You could say, but I wear my, my shirt goes all the way up. My pants go all the way down. And sometimes as Christians, we do that sort of stuff, right? Did you see how short their sleeves were? <laughs> Did you notice how much the, the, the other button was undone? And this is where, like, none attire comes from. Because we're trying to perfect ourselves in the flesh. We're trying to put forth our best, and I just want you to know that we begin to add to it every single time. That's why you'll find churches, you know, when people are walking in, they've got rulers, and they're measuring hems, and it's got to be so many inches past the knee. We don't do that to people in here. I mean, think about it. Would, would the world ever step foot in a church that does that sort of stuff? The answer is no. Things are too short, you know, they're not long enough, they don't cover enough. Paul's like, listen, when it comes to zeal, nobody beats him. Yet he counted these things lost. He counted them rubbish that he may gain Christ and be found in him, not having his own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, that the righteousness which is from God by faith. And he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Notice it's nothing of Paul. Everything that he's listing here is all about Jesus. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul's saying, man, if anyone has a right to brag, it's me. Speaking to the church, speaking to us today, if anyone had the right to brag, it would be the Apostle Paul. He could brag. And there isn't anything that any of us have done that even comes close we could say, but, but, you know, I go to church every Sunday. I never miss, and I always go to first service, and I always get up at 3 in the morning, and I pray for four hours on my knees. Paul would say, Paul would be able to say, yeah, I did more. And you're like, oh, man. <laughs> we don't have any ability to brag of our own righteousness. Fact, our ability to stand before God with our own righteousness is impossible. You cannot stand before God with your own righteousness. Fact, right standing before God only comes through Christ. And this is what Paul is talking about. So we cannot say I can be made perfect by keeping the law. The Bible says in Romans 8, 3, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son and the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Isn't that wild? So if you try in your flesh to do, like, I'm going to live the Ten Commandments, I'm going I'm to pray extra long, and you start, like, keeping track. Like, when I was a little kid, I remember the first time I had a teacher that she had a list of books on the wall that people would read and every book that a student read they would get a star next to their name you know we do that sometimes with our own righteousness we start trying to keep track and we somehow think that that gets us closer to the lord 
But what you need to realize is it doesn't get you any closer to Jesus. God doesn't love you more if you pray for four hours and less if you pray for 20 minutes. You understand that? His love's not based on your, your works. It's not based on what you do. His love has simply been based upon you because he is love. Isn't that wild? He just can't love you any more or any less than he already does. Warren Wiersbe says, a sanctified dissatisfaction is essential to the progress of the Christian race. Let me read that again. A sanctified dissatisfaction is essential to progress in the Christian race. Paul's saying, one thing I do, I forget what's behind it, I'm going to reach forward to those things which are ahead. And he says, I have not attained, or the word is obtained, or apprehended, which means to lay hold of or to seize. He didn't view himself as racing against other people. He viewed himself as running his own race. We get into trouble when we start looking around and measuring ourselves against each other. Right? It's a bad thing to do. It's like little kids. Little kids are always like looking around and, you know, if you're like, hey, don't do that. They're like, well, he was doing it worse. We kind of do that with the Lord, right? The disciples did the same thing. They were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is like, what are you talking about? Nothing? <laughs> I know what you guys are talking about. You're talking about who's going to be the greatest in heaven. Uh-uh. Well, Peter started it. No, it was John. No, it was James. <laughs> they all started pointing the fingers at each other like a bunch of kids, right? He didn't view himself as having apprehended. Which is wild, because Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, studied under Gamaliel. Paul was really smart, really smart. Have you ever been around people that are so smart, you just feel stupid? <laughs> That's how I feel most of the time in our pastoral meetings. I'm just sitting there, I'm like, man, I'm just, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> and the Lord's always reminding me, you're here because I use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. <laughs> That's where I fit in. I had a guy ask me one time, he said, what Bible college did you go to? And I, well, I actually started with university. He said, what university did you go to? And I said, I didn't. And he said, oh, uh, what Bible college did you go to? I said, I didn't. He said, then how did you become a pastor? It's like, good question. I don't know. I just. <laughs> That's not Calvary Chapel's uh, prerequisite to being a pastor. You understand if it was, Peter would have never made it. <laughs> Neither would have most of the disciples except for Paul. Paul was highly educated. But he never thought that his education made him something. I'm not saying having an education makes you nothing. But it's also not true that if you don't have an education that you're nothing. Think about the prisons filled with people who are highly intelligent. They found ways around people's systems, and they don't have an education. The, the prison's not filled with stupid people. I mean, there are stupid people there, but there's also stupid people outside. I mean, it's not... I'm saying that there are very intelligent people within a prison that never went to college. So just having an education doesn't make you something. Paul recognized that. It didn't make him closer to Jesus. So instead of measuring our spiritual success against others, measure your spiritual success against yourself. 
And the best way for you to do that is to kind of keep track of it. So, for example, are you closer to Jesus now than you were last week? You say, oh, yeah, okay. What about last month? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. What about last year? No. Okay, then, it's time to change something, right? Instead of looking at other people, and don't look at pastors and say, well, they're a special group. I mean, we are a special group of people, but not in the way you might think. But the reality is, is that just because someone's a pastor, I mean, I've had people tell me, you know, like, I study, but oh, nothing like you. And I, I said, wait a minute, what do you mean nothing like me? Do you know how much I study? Do any of you know how much I study? No, you don't, do you? So to just make a blanket statement with an assumption that I study more than you do, perhaps you have more time than I do. Maybe you spend three hours per day studying. Then I would say you study more than I do because you study three hours per day. Does that make sense? So don't think just because someone's in a position makes them something more than you. Again, don't compare yourself against anybody. Listen, Pastor Jack is not our measure. I'm not your measure. Nobody in here is your measure. Jesus is your measure. That's it. So you need to make sure you keep your eyes on him. Onward, number two, by recognizing that God has a plan. Paul said, I want to lay hold of that which. You could read right over that. Don't, don't we mostly just read right over that? Lay hold of that which. Wait, what? Lay hold of what, Paul? He wanted to lay hold of that which Christ had apprehended him or what the reason that Jesus grabbed him on the Damascus road. He wanted to understand it. Lay hold of that. Turn to Romans chapter 11 verse 36. Romans 11 verse 36. People either focus and make everything about God's purpose and plan for your life. And it's like becomes this urethral thing like this thing unattainable and it's just out there and it's just like grand and you know you're focusing so much on it that you don't do anything and then a lot of people also downplay it but the reality is is that God has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of you that's why you're here right Romans eleven thirty six says for of him and through him and to him are all things are you included in all things Yes, then you are for him, through him, and to him. You're for him. Do, do you need a greater reason? I mean, if that was it, do you need a greater reason? You're here because God wants you here. Yeah, but to do, I want it. You're here because I love you, right? Did you have kids so that you could have an extension of your TV remote? Did you have kids because you looked outside and were like, man, we really need yard work done. You know what? We'll have some kids. Who is going to clean this toilet? You know what? Let's have a couple kids. Because if you ever thought like that, you learned really quickly that it was quite the opposite. There was a lot more mess than there is cleaning. So then why do you have kids? Because you love them. Right? Just because. Did you ever really give a lot of thought to it? Like, did you come up with some grand reason as to why you want to have kids? Let's see, I want to have kids because I, I know probably when I'm in my 80s, I won't be able to walk. And I'm going to need someone to drive me to the doctor's office. Did you think that? No, you just thought, when you were young, 
And you thought about having a family someday. You're just like, I want to have a family and I want to have kids. Someone says, why? I don't know. I just want to. That's like what you're supposed to do, right? You didn't really give a lot of thought to it. You just started, you got married. It's kind of like married, check. Kids, check. And then you, maybe you had a bunch. We had four. That's a lot. (laughs) But I love every one of them. And they've been a total blessing. But they've been more work than they have been help. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's individual. God has a work and a purpose for each and every one of you. I love that the word uh, workmanship there in the Greek is poema, which is where we get the word poem. You are God's poem that he is writing And he has a plan and a purpose for your life. He has good works for you to walk in. Yeah, that's generalized in the sense that we know what good works are in the word of God. But he also has specific things for each and every one of you. When you come to Christ and you begin to grow, you become a believer and then you begin to serve in the church. You begin to serve in that thing for which God has purpose for you to serve in. Did you know that? But also where you live... And the neighborhood that God has put you in is a place where God is using you to diffuse the fragrance of Christ. Did you know that? Did you know that where you work is another place where God has put you, that you're diffusing the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Did you know that? Did you forget? It doesn't feel like it sometimes, huh? Because sometimes those people at work are mean. I know, I worked with some before. They did everything they could to try to drive me nuts. It's okay, I drove them nuts too. They put up a girly picture in the break room. I worked for a school district. That was a, it was against the uh, union rules to do stuff like that, at least back then. So they put up a calendar girl, and I, I used to get there super early. So you know what I did? I took a Sharpie, and I drew clothes on her. They knew who did it because they came in and they're like, hey, where did you do the poster? And I said, I put clothes on her. <laughs> they're like, and I said, what are you going to do about it? They said, well, I said, because you know it's against the union rules for you to put that in there, right? And they're like, yeah. And I said, so you're not going to say anything more to me, right? And they're like, no. And I was like, all right, have a nice day. See ya. <laughs> but One of the guys used to torment me and he used to tell me, you know, you Christians, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. And I would tell him, that's true. And he'd go, cop out, cop out. (laughs) He would try to push my buttons. So I lovingly pushed his back. (laughs) But you know, it's great. The last day that I worked for the school district, uh, before I came on staff here, I was working with him. I requested for my last day. I said, I want to go work with with." His name is Jeff. I said, I want to go work with him. And he was in this tiny crawl space doing this plumbing work. So I knew he couldn't get out. And I was taking tools. And I had gotten a a stack of sticky notes. And I was writing notes. And I was putting them everywhere in his truck. Everywhere. (laughs) Every tool, under the seat, like everywhere, all over his truck. Some in obvious, you know, plain sight. And then others. And like three months later, he said, hey, I'm still finding those notes in my truck. I said, that's great. He knew I loved him, and I knew he loved me. We were having a deep conversation one day, and I said, so 
who was the Christian in your family? And he said, excuse me? I said, who was the Christian in your family? He was an atheist, by the way. I said, who was the Christian in your family? He said, what do you mean? I said, because you're moral. And you don't get moral, you don't get moral people from atheism. So who was the Christian in your family? And he said, my grandfather. Yeah. And I said, he was a good man, wasn't he? And he said, yeah. I said, because he followed Jesus Christ. Well, I don't want to talk about that. Of course you don't want to talk about it. Because <laughs> I'm an atheist. <laughs> but that's how I would joke with him. And then he would turn around and make fun of me too. But he would say stuff. And you know what I would do? I would stick my fingers in my ears if he tried to get vulgar. And I would start singing, be careful little ears what you hear. <laughs> and if he tried to show me something, I'd put my hands over my eyes. And I would say, be careful little eyes what you see. So you can do that with people. It's fun. Colossians 1.16, all things were created through him and for him. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Isn't that, you're an ambassador for Christ. You have a purpose. God has a plan for you. He wants you to reach towards it. Onward by being single-minded. Paul said, there's one thing I do. This means single-minded, wholehearted devotion to the race. Wholehearted, single-minded devotion to the race. The unsaved person oftentimes is consumed with the past. Now, Christians can be consumed with the past too, but we should put the past behind us and we should look forward to what's ahead. He says, one thing. As if he had given up all else and addicted himself to one sole object to aim to be like Jesus Christ, says Charles Spurgeon. Turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Luke 10, verse 38. I love this story between Mary and Martha. Jesus is at their house. What would you do if Jesus came to your house? Oh, my goodness. That's a negative reaction. Oh. You know, technically, he's already there. I mean. I mean, I'm hoping that, oh, it was, you know, it's messy or something, not like sacrificing the neighbor's cats or something. So it says in verse 38, it happened as they went, he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. You should underline that. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone? The, the nerve. Can you imagine? How many of you are like that? You would go straight to Jesus if, if, you, if, you, if your sister wasn't helping you. <laughs> You'd see her standing with her hands on her hips. Jesus! <laughs> Things are burning in the kitchen, you know. And there's Mary. <laughs> At the feet of Jesus, right? Make her get up and help. And Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha. You are worried and troubled about many things. Look at this, verse 42. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. 
Martha was focused on too many things. She was distracted. Mary was focused on one thing. Keep this in mind. And we'll find ourselves in the same position. If we're focusing on multiples of things, we start getting frustrated. And we start looking around and we start noticing who else isn't helping. It happens in the church sometimes, right? If a bunch of people get together to serve and do something, there's always a few that are, oh, we're going to go and we're going to do it all. And, you know, and then there's the other ones that are just, I've seen these videos recently. It's like how to look busy on the job and one's like walk super fast. Everywhere you go, walk super fast. They're not doing anything. And one, one guy, there's like three guys, they're carrying this like refrigerator. And they're like all dying, you know. And he's, and he's running around. And he's, and he's doing this. He's not touching anything. He's running around. And he's like, and they put it up. And, and he, oh, whoo, he wipes his head. And whoo, they, they had no idea he wasn't helping. They couldn't see because their faces were smashed up, almost breaking their necks with this thing. But then you notice and you're like, hey, you'll get over here and help. If you have kids, you know how this works. Because you're like working and then you look around and they're gone. And you're like, where are they? And they're always in the bathroom. (laughs) So Mary was there sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she was focused in that moment on what the most important thing was. Jesus is sitting in the room. I'm going to focus on Jesus. Psalm 27, 4 says, one thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Isn't that beautiful? David says, one thing. What is that one thing? That I'm going to seek the Lord above all. Oftentimes, we've got too many other things competing with that one thing. Onward by forgetting the past. Forget what you did, good or bad. Forget it. It's behind you. People are either controlled in the present by the past because of their sin. They're constantly living day to day with like this looming shadow over their head. Or they're constantly living in past victories. Man, 10 years ago I did this. So what? It's not 10 years ago. It's now. Constantly be moving forward. Forget those things that are behind you. And I want you to know this, that if you're letting past sin loom over you, let me, let's just work through a couple of things really fast. Number one, have you asked Jesus to forgive you? Because if you have, let me just say this, he has. Okay? 1 John 1, 9 says that he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. And the reality is sometimes... We have that guilt that lingers on with us and cripples us moment by moment from ever doing anything for Jesus. Satan loves that. Satan loves to remind us of our past. He's like, remember, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you're 60, he's like, remember when you were 18, what you did? That'd be like me, you know, going to one of my kids. He's like, do you know when you were two, what you did? They're like, I, I was two. Yeah, but it still was a mess. <laughs> Think about it. And then Satan comes along, he does that to us. And here's the best thing I've ever heard. Next time Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. 
Huh? He comes to you and says, you remember that sin you did last week? Hey, Satan, you're going to burn in the lake of fire. <laughs> and you're little cronies too. And I look forward to that day. Look at Luke 9.57. Talking about being focused on too many things. In Luke 9.57, it says, It happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then another said, or he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go preach the kingdom of God. Let me just say, Jesus was not being insensitive like this man's father just died. That's not what this is saying. What happened is the man saying, wait, let me wait until my father dies. Someday he's going to die, and then I'll follow you. Jesus is saying, let the dead bury the dead. You go preach the kingdom. Then he says in verse 62, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Why? Because you're not focused on where you're going. Right? Where are you focused? If I'm plowing and I'm looking behind me, where am I focused? On the past. Not on where I'm going. I need to be focused on where I'm going. Not where I've been. I know it sounds so simple and I'm making it overly simplistic. But you guys... You will save yourself hours of counseling and therapy if you can learn to look ahead of you instead of looking behind you. This is like one of the greatest problems that each and every one of us face. We spend too much time looking in the wrong direction. Paul says, forget it and move forward. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Verse 19, that we are not to lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. See, that's the key. Where your treasure is, your heart is. If your treasure's in your house, that's where your heart is. If your treasure's in your bank account, that's where your heart is. And of course, if it's in those things, like as the world begins to crumble around you, your heart will begin to crumble because your stuff is going. But if your heart, your treasure is in heaven, your heart's secure. You don't need to worry about it. The word lay up means to gather up, to heap up, to store up, or to accumulate riches. Jesus says, accumulate riches in heaven. Now, treasure is the place where the goods or the precious things are stored up. Now the word good means single in this instance and the word bad means many. So put one finger out in front of your face, just like this, okay? Can you look at that one finger? Just look at it. One thing, just remember this. When you look at your finger, one thing. Can you do that? Now leave it there, keep that there and put your other finger, just put it off over to the side somewhere. Can you focus on both? No, you can see it in your peripheral, but you can't focus on both. You can look at one or the other. Do you see what happens? You're not focused on one anymore. Now you're trying to look at two separate ones. Yeah, yeah but I put them both like this, and then I can look at both of them. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Some of you are ornery. You can't 
you cannot win a race looking behind you. It's like when I was a kid, I played Little League Baseball, and I just remember the coach just screaming and yelling at us if we did not run first base through. You know, as students or, or kids, right, they'd be running and they hit the ball up in the air and it's flying out into middle field and, and they're like running and all of a sudden they're, they're looking where the ball's going to see if it's going to be caught. And you know what happens? I've watched it happen, right? You have too. The kid goes to catch the ball and he thinks he's out so he starts to walk away and then he drops the ball and if he had kept running he would be safe. But then he gets thrown out at first, and then the coach really loses his mind. And it's like, come on, coach, we're nine. <laughs> we're not really the angels. <laughs> we're just, yeah, you know, we're just, this is Little League. <laughs> so he would just say, you keep your eye on that base, and you run that base all the way through. Warren Wiersbe says, we cannot change the past, but we can change the meaning of the past. You can't change the past, but you can change the meaning of the past. And onward by reaching forward. Reaching forward, onward, or to stretch as in a race. Guys, throw up the video. I want this video to be an example of what we're talking about. Get up, lad, get up. drop him, you'll never find another one like this. Was not the prettiest quarter I've ever see, seen, Mr. Little? So that is such a great clip from the movie Chariots of the Fire. Uh, Eric Little was, this is a true story, that really happened. He fell and he got up. He didn't, he didn't oh man, you guys see that deep hit. What did he do? He got up and he just started running. That's what Jesus wants you to do. Don't stay down. Satan's like, ah, I got gotcha. you. That guy shoved him. He got up. Do you see the look on his face when he got up? Look of determination. Let's go back to Philippians 3.14 and look at upward. He says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
he went upward by pressing towards the goal. To press towards the goal means to follow after. The Greeks used it to describe a hunter eagerly pursuing his prey. There are two extremes to avoid, Wiersbe says. One is I must do it all. And number two, the opposite would be that God must do it all. The first describes the activist, the second, the quietist, and both are heading for failure. Let go and let God is a clever slogan, but it does not fully describe the process of Christian living. What quarterback would say to his team, okay, men, just let go and let the coach do it all. On the other hand, no quarterback would say, listen to me and forget what the coach says. Both extremes are wrong. In John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. There's this connection between us and the Lord. And what he's doing through us, he uses us to do. So there's a place for you being active and present in what God's doing in and through you. To bless and bring people around you to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior as well. Think about it. You're sitting here tonight because someone told you about Jesus. And they told you about Jesus because someone told them about Jesus. And the person that told them about Jesus was told by someone else about Jesus. And you know that we can trace that all the way back to Jesus himself. Did you know that? One person who told another person who told another person. And if we followed it all the way back, it would come straight out of the mouth of Jesus. How awesome is that? We could say, where did you come from? What nation did you come from? Where did you hear the gospel? I heard the gospel in Costa Mesa. Where'd you hear the gospel? Doesn't, could be all over the world. But someone told you and you told someone else. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it, to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. They did it for a little wreath. Did you know that? All that training, all that exercise. Think about the Olympics. They do it for a piece of gold. I, I'm not, I don't mean to downplay it. That's quite a feat. To make it into the Olympics is extremely difficult, if not impossible. To win a gold medal on top of that is a great feat, but... At the end of the day, it's a little piece of gold. <laughs> so Paul's saying, they're doing it for something perishable. You and I, what we're doing is for something imperishable. This isn't an Oscar. It's not an Emmy. Look at what Hollywood does for that stuff. All the emotion, oh my gosh, I want it. Oh, ah, they're crying all over the place. That's why he says in verse 26, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Upward, number two, by remaining disciplined. By remaining disciplined. This is not a fun word, would you agree? The word discipline could be used, right, of chastening somebody or making a correction by some sort of punishment, but when it's ourselves, that, that form of discipline can feel like a punishment as well. I don't know what you do for you. I know what I do for me. I know that for me, 
um, I have to be disciplined in the time that I get up and how I eat and how I exercise and all that stuff for me. That's how it works for me. You may not be able to do certain things, but you have to find what works for you. Notice there's not in the Bible a specific formula. Notice that, right? There's not a specific formula when it comes to reading your Bible, is there? Does it say you have to read for one hour? Does it say you have to read for 10 hours? No, because it's individual. You figure out what works for you. Just be disciplined. Look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Matthew 16, verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So number one, deny yourself in every moment of life to say no to self and yes to God. Barclay says dethrone self and enthrone God. You know, we all have a throne and an altar in our lives. The throne is the seat of authority and the altar is the place of sacrifice. And whoever is on the throne will determine who's on the altar. If you are on the throne, then Jesus is on the altar of sacrifice. You will sacrifice time for Jesus if you are on the throne, if you are pursuing the things that you want to pursue with your life, time with Jesus will be sacrificed. We are to present ourselves as living sacrifices. We are to always remain on the altar. But did you know that that Jesus doesn't fight with you in that way? He's not going to punch you in the face if you try to take him off the throne. You're like, "Uh, excuse me, I will take the throne today and jesus says okay we'll see how you do then your life's all messed up really why didn't you let me get this position sometimes i wish he would just go you are the one who took me off the throne but he doesn't do that does he that's how we would treat people that's not how jesus is he doesn't even come and say see i told you this is what's going to happen Moms, don't we tell our boys that? I told you jumping off that thing, you were going to break your arm. And look, you did. That won't stop a boy, though. (laughs) Whoever's on the throne will determine who's on the altar. So we need to dethrone self and enthrone God. Number two, take up the cross. The Christian life is a life of sacrificial service. Barclay says that one will sacrifice time, leisure, and pleasure in order to serve God. He says that the Christian life is a life more concerned with others than self. Number three, follow me. To go where Jesus would go, to talk like Jesus would talk, and act like Jesus would act. In any given situation, you say, well, I don't know how he would act in this situation. Why don't you go read your Bible and find out? There's a lot of great passages. You know, if you think, well, I don't know, this guy's mistreating me, or these people are being mean to me, Did you not see how much people were mean to Jesus? (laughs) How did he handle it? The Bible says that he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, yet he opened not his mouth. When he was reviled, you know, he could have, he told Peter in the garden when he cut off the high servant's ear, Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. Do you not know I can call on a legion of angels right now? At any moment, Jesus could have called on angels. He could have shot laser beams out of his eyes. 
I mean, he could have done all kinds of stuff, but he didn't do that. And so when we read about how Jesus handled people, we see how we're supposed to handle people. John 12, verse 24, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. This is such a tough thing. It's easy to be distracted. It's easy to try to focus on multiples of things. And you know what? Our country has exalted this as being the way to live. But the reality is, is that it brings bondage. It will pull you into slavery. The greatest thing I think that our country has produced is freedom. But when we say, I'm going to pursue the American dream. Let me ask a question, where's the end of that? I'm going to get the house, I'm going to get the boat, and I'm going to get this, and then you'll be enslaved to your job, and when will you use the boat, and when will you use the RV? And I'm not saying it's a sin to have a boat, by the way. I'm not saying if you have a boat, you're in sin, not at all. Hopefully you were wise and didn't become enslaved to your boat. Do you know what boat stands for? Bail out another thousand. not a sin if you have a boat you know it would be a sin is if you spend all of your time and your energy to get that thing and never took your children out in it and it sat in your driveway as an idol and you were never able to use it because you couldn't take time off because you had to work to pay for it that's all I'm talking about see the reality is the best things that we have in life are free your family the time that you need to spend with your family with your kids the time that you could spend investing in people instead of things it's okay to have things as long as things don't own you once things own you there's a problem and priorities get turned around just remember what's most important 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, exercise yourselves towards godliness. Exercise yourselves towards godliness. There's nothing in this world that's going to yield like that. When you exercise yourselves towards godliness, the world can fall apart around you. You won't. I heard it said a long time ago, the Christian's Bible that's falling apart is a symbol of a life that isn't. Listen, God hasn't said that he will be able to give you the peace that you need in, in a minute of Bible reading or, or less. He says, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. The world can't give peace. The world can only give anxiety. That's all the world can give. And that has been ramped up. Since COVID, I know we keep pointing back to COVID because a lot of stuff changed at COVID, including the amount of anxiety and suicide in teens' lives. 
teens are overly anxious and to think that your children aren't or haven't faced it, what I've seen is every teenager I've ever known has faced an amount of anxiety and depression in their life. Every single one. Every single one. You're not a bad parent if your child faces depression or anxiety. I want you to understand that. But I don't want you to pretend it's something that can be dismissed or downplayed. For whatever reason, this was not in my notes, I think that the Lord wants some of you in here tonight who have been dismissing this anxiety in your child's life as something trivial. This is a warning from the Lord that if you don't intervene now, it'll get worse and something worse is going to happen. You cannot downplay it. Please. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We're going to watch another video, and I want you to ask yourself three questions in light of that verse that we just read, am I on the track? Am I running towards the finish line? And am I running in a way to receive the prize? Guys, go ahead and play that video. It says in the old book, he that honors me I will honor. Good luck, Jackson Shores. power come from to see the race to its end from within. God made me for a purpose. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure.
know someday when you get to heaven, that's what it's going to be like? Paul said in his valedictory, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only me, but also all who have loved his appearing. Christian, make sure nothing in your life detracts you from keeping your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Father, we come before you tonight. Lord, we want to move onward and upward. We want to forget those things which are behind, and we want to press towards the upward call of God. And I'm prompted right now as we're just in a moment of prayer. Keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed. And I don't want anybody looking around, but if you have been living in light of your past and you feel controlled by your past, I want you to be able to walk out of here tonight free, completely free. So if that's you, you just feel like this past is somehow looming over your head, just raise up your hand. I want to pray for you. Okay, his hands up all over the place. Put your hands down. I'm going to pray for you, but I want you to know this, that if you haven't already, you need to ask Jesus Christ to forgive you. Your cleansing will come from him in an instant. Father, you saw all these that lifted their hands and they feel controlled by their past and for whatever reason. Maybe there's some that don't know you yet as Lord and Savior tonight. That could be a simple change in their life by believing Jesus that you are God that you died on the cross and you rose from the dead your Bible says that if we confess that with our mouth and believe it in our heart we'll be saved we'll be forgiven and for those that are already children of God your Bible says in 1 John 1 9 that you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all sin and so Lord I pray for them tonight that this would be the last night that that thought of what happened in the past would ever loom over their head that they would no longer be controlled by the enemy that fear would no longer be a factor in Lord they're living for you free set free Lord I pray tonight that they would leave it here October 4th 2023 and they walk out those doors may the burden be left behind and Lord for all those that are continuing day by day to just put one foot in front of the other to walk towards you Lord we know that soon and very soon each and every one of us will see you I pray just for a blessing upon this place tonight and those watching Lord that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit to overflowing that they would live for you sold out keep their eyes upon you Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith Lord, we surrender this time of worship to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.